Hey, everyone. Now it's time to welcome Jack Brown to the Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. Today, Jack is going to talk to us about his 40 years of fire department experience, his 33 years in the military, and we're going to discuss the importance of education, command presence, and leadership style. Jack, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Jack, could you please give the listeners a brief introduction of who you are, uh, kind of your background, your fire department experiences, and you know anything you want to bring up about the military, and uh, just give us a peek into Jack's world. Okay. Well, thank you, Mike. Um, Jack Brown, uh, I'm re- the retired director of the Arlington County Department of Public Safety, Communications, and Emergency Management. Uh, retired from full-time work back in 2018. And now I'm a consultant for the Center for Public Safety Management. I do fire and EMS analysis around the country and up in Canada. I also teach part-time uh, for the U.S. Department of State and their anti-terrorism assistance program. That's what I've been doing since 2018. But began my journey in the fire service in 1968 as a volunteer in Prince George's County, Maryland. Got on a job in Fairfax County, Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C. in 1972. Went up through the ranks, served in most of the divisions there, including the Office of the Fire Marshal and Support Services, worked in training, uh, was the chief of EMS, and I retired as the assistant fire chief of operations. I had uh, six deputy fire chiefs working for me, all the operational facilities, 38 fire stations, training, and a lot of support staff. Retired from Fairfax, went to Loudoun County as the assistant chief, number two person out there. When that department had less than 100 career people, helped Loudoun County build a career system uh, that actually worked very closely together with the volunteer system into a combined system, the combined system that it is today. Uh, Loudoun County today is, is now a metro-sized department. But when I got out there in, in 2000, we had no battalion chiefs no operational authority. Uh, so we helped uh, build build the, the fire and rescue system, the combined fire and rescue system that they have today. I, uh, I left the fire service in 2006 to pursue a career in emergency management. I went to Arlington County as the deputy director of the department, but within six months of being there, uh, I became the acting director and ultimately the director. So last part of my career was the director. Uh, I had 911, the system, the emergency communication center, as well as 12 folks in the Office of Emergency Management. It's one department, the Department of Public Safety, Communications, and Emergency Management. Uh, paralleling my full-time career, I was in the Army Reserve for six years, uh, got out as a staff sergeant, went in the Coast Guard as an enlisted person, as actually as an E-5, a second-class petty officer, worked my way up to chief petty officer, and ultimately was commissioned as a warrant officer in 1996. I retired as a chief warrant officer for Port Safety and Security Specialty in uh, late 2008. Did uh, four deployments to the Middle East. Uh, towards the end of my career, including uh, a fairly lengthy deployment to Baghdad in 2007. So that's me. That's that's quite the uh, quite the resume. And uh, you know something that I uh, the quote that I was I heard was a pair of epaulets don't make you a general. 
Um, I think <laughs> that I, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. And I think yeah. the most important part about leadership is establishing your uh, style as a leader and your command presence. You know, when, uh, with your experience, you know, you've been a staff sergeant in the Army, you were a chief warrant officer. Kind of walk us through that and your uh, experiences through establishing yourself. Well, first off, uh, back when I became a company officer in the fire department, and even, even as a non-commissioned officer in the military, I had very little uh, training in how to be an officer. Most of it was observing those that came before me, and I was very, very fortunate, blessed, if you will, uh, to have worked with and for some amazing leaders in the fire service and in the military, and they were actually my role models. So, uh, and we've, we've all worked with those folks that maybe kind of missed the mark. So sometimes even a bad example can be a good example. Uh, but I was very, very fortunate to work with some just amazing company officers and chief officers. And they, they helped me. I had a lot of mentors along the way. And, and the list is just so lengthy, but I'll just mention a couple of them. One of them is Sonny Scarf, who was the captain at the Chillum Adelphi Fire Station, ultimately the Director of Fire Protection for Marriott. Uh, another guy by the name of Gary Maceris, who was my company officer and then ultimately uh, my supervisor uh, when I made battalion chief. He was the chief of operations at the time in Fairfax. Glenn Gaines, who uh, retired as our fire chief, went on to the U.S. Fire Administration. Uh, Ed Stinnett, Joe Pose. I mean, there's just so many folks uh, that I worked for. Plus, I was lucky to work you know, on a lot of regional initiatives. And I worked with a lot of different fire chiefs around the region, including Mark Bashore from Prince George's County, John Donnelly down in Washington, D.C., and many, many others. So that really kind of set the stage. And what I learned from all of these folks is it's, it's, it's not about me. It's, about, it's always about us. Take care of your folks. And taking care of your folks means a lot of things. It means you know, guiding them, being more of a coach than a boss, uh, telling them when they're wrong. We all make mistakes, encouraging people to make decisions. That's one thing I learned many, many years ago. In fact, Glenn Gaines told me, he says, he says, I will get, uh, I will get very disappointed in you, Jack, if you come up on a situation and you just don't make a decision, you know, without policy or procedure tactics, you know, if you're in a situation and you got to make a decision, just use the training and the experience and your gut to make a decision. You know, just make a decision. Sometimes you're in a situation where you have time and you can call somebody. Ask one of your peers. You know, you've got other battalion chiefs out there, other captains out there, other chief officers that you can speak with sure. to help you make a decision. But if it's an emergency situation sure. and you got to make the call, make the call just keep safety and mission paramount in your decision making yeah indecision is a decision all on its own and you can be a bad leader you can be a bad leader not because you make bad decisions but because you don't make any decisions and Absolutely. You, you know I, I think that a lot of that comes from experience i think training is also a very big one um mm -hmm. how how do you think that you used uh like what what style of leadership did you use, do you think, uh, when it came to how you you did things in the military? Let's talk about the military a little bit. Well, I'm sure those are going to parallel into the fire service as well. Yeah, I, Actually, my, my time in the military, because I was in the Coast Guard Reserve, and the Coast Guard 
is much like uh, law enforcement and fire and EMS. I mean, the missions are very, very similar. In fact, in some cases, they're exactly the same. And most of the folks that I worked with in the Coast Guard Reserve were also firefighters, fire officers, and police officers. So we all kind of come from, you know, the same mindset. Uh, and even in the military, uh, I tried to use a collaborative form, you know, of leadership. I talked to my folks, uh, unless we were in a situation where you just had to make rapid fire decisions and go here, do this, do that. It was pretty much collect. You listen to your people because I might be quote unquote, a port safety and security subject matter expert. I, I don't like that term expert. Mm -hmm. uh, specialist is probably a better term for that. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert in anything. You know, none of us know everything and be amazed at just the power of the people that you work with, the folks that are on your shift or in your battalion or in your unit, the experience that they have and adding all that up together. I think you can make a whole lot better decisions than if one person tries to do it all by themselves in a vacuum. So I always tried to use that. Uh, and I've been in some, some situations, you know, in the military for three years of my Coast Guard Reserve uh, career, I was actually embedded in a Navy unit, Naval Coastal Warfare. I was a division officer. I served eight and a half months in uh, Kuwait, southern Iraq. I had 45 Navy enlisted folks working for me. They're called master at arms. They're, they're kind of like, you know, military police officers doing security operations. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were just amazing young folks that were so dedicated and just so experienced, and, but they were also starving for leadership. They, they wanted to, they wanted to be able to look up to their chief petty officer and their division officer and their commanding officer and, and see that people had their backs, that they were getting the support that they needed, the equipment, the policy, just all the things necessary to do their jobs. And I, and I think we succeeded pretty well with all that. Everybody came home safe. I'm, I'm, I'm happy, uh, about that. Uh, in the fire department, uh, I, I was very lucky to work on some really great shifts. I, I tended to have good people and you just let them do their job, let them do their job, uh, provide them, you know, with the, the clear direction, you know, we all, like I said, we all make mistakes. If somebody makes a mistake, you know, unless it's a flagrant violation of policy or you know, some disciplinary action. In most cases, it's just retraining. It's just, you know, hey, let's go over this. I tried to critique every call that we went on because we can always do things a little bit better. Kind of that back step discussion, you know, after a work and fire, do that. Sure. Did that all the way up the line. Uh, and when I was a battalion chief, they put me in the busiest battalion in Fairfax County with high rises. Within two weeks, I had a three alarm high rise fire. I mean, and I was first arriving. There wasn't an engine company in sight. Everybody was out of position. Sure. I pull up. I pull up to a building with glass flying out of the eleventh floor, and I'm there for a while before the first engine arrives. the The incident went relatively well, and I say relatively because the fire protection systems were they just weren't working. The standpipe system, the OS and Y valve for the firefighters out there was turned off in the building. The sprinkler Chinese sure. connection had been moved. This is all kinds of challenges, but guess what? That fire went out, not because it ran out of stuff to burn. That fire went out because of the ingenuity and 
the the knowledge and experience of the people, the firefighters and officers who were on the scene, who helped help me navigate from a command standpoint, how to overcome those obstacles and run a line into the riser on the first floor and back pressure the system and fire goes out. I mean, it's just that kind of that's that's the experiences that I had uh, as a as an officer and as a chief officer in a fire department. Always look to your folks. Always listen to them. Sometimes, many times, most of the time, they're going to have better ideas than you do. Sure. And, you know, I think that's also kind of a, that needs to be a uh, balance, too. I think there comes a time where, well, actually, I know there comes a time where, you, you know, you make a decision. I'm, this is my decision. This is what we're doing. And you don't question it. That's just the way it is. I think that it comes down to, um, there's a lot of, I think, I think, at least in my experience, there's a lot more decisions that get made in the firehouse than there are on call. And I think in the firehouse, when it comes to the, just those everyday decisions that build up over time of you as the officer, you know, hey, guys, we have to do X, Y, and Z today. You just tell them what needs to get done, let them do it. You don't need to get involved in it. They're the guys. Let the guys be the guys. Right. Let them handle the problems. You don't have to have your hand in everything. Right. And I think that's more often than not the decisions that are going to be made. But when it comes down to like now you're on this fire and we haven't made a decision to make. Are we going to the basement or are we going through the first floor? Are we going through the garage, the open garage right. with a door that failed? Or are we going to go right. through the house and go into the door for the garage? They don't want yeah. they don't want to sit there and say, all right, LT, let's try that. No, they want you to be no. the leader at that point. Absolutely. They want and, you and... to be the dictator, not the autocratic style. Like, you know what I mean? Right, right. There are there are times and places to make rapid fire decisions to be autocratic, obviously pulling up on an emergency scene. Mm -hmm. But I will couch that with, if if I make a decision as an officer, with company officer or chief officer, and somebody walks up and says, chief, I get it, because people are gonna do what you tell them to do on the fire ground for the most part. Sure. Unless there's something that's unsafe, unethical, illegal, you get it. And I, what I told my folks is, do what I tell you to do, you know, on the fire ground, you know, because that's not the time to convene a quality circle. Okay. Sure. You know, we, we just gotta, we gotta make it happen. But if you see, if I make a decision and you see something that's going to make this mission unsuccessful or God forbid, get somebody injured or killed, tell me, don't let me go to the edge of the cliff and then watch me or give me that gentle nudge off the cliff. Let me know. You know, I just, that's that I expect that I expect people to trust me enough to make good decisions, but also trust me enough to tell me when we're headed in the wrong direction, even on an emergency call, just, Hey, we got wires over here. There, uh, I see, I saw something you didn't chief or captain or whatever. That's all, you know, yeah. it's about, it really is about teamwork, whether you're in the military or the fire service, public safety in general. We, we work in, or particularly in fire and EMS, we work in teams all the time. We work in teams and you gotta, you gotta have trusted relationships. You gotta have strong leadership. And I learned many years ago, leadership comes in many forms. Hey, when it's not emergency situation, like you said, in the fire station, your driver might be the leader. Some firefighter might be the leader for a drill or, you know, a task or a project or something like that. But on the fire ground, you, you said it exactly right, Mike. You're the leader. They want they don't want a weak leader. They don't want somebody to say, hey, guys, what, are, what, what, what do you think we should do with this house? No, it's, that's, that's time to rock and roll. 
they want you to be the leader. Like that's that vacuum Absolutely. that's cre- right. that's created. Right. You know, they, they want you to be on point. They don't want you to right. be to right. you know sway your decisions. And no. you know that there's there's definitely something to be said about a situation. And I'm sure you've experienced this. And this isn't directed to any one person, but you know I've been through situations where I'm like, hey, we're gonna do A, B, and C. Somebody piped up and goes, I don't think that's gonna work. We need to do this. And it, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this. Let's go. And it wasn't because that person was trying to undermine me or do anything. It's he saw something. He was confident enough in his, in himself to say, Lieutenant, I saw this. And then I myself have the confidence experience to say, I understand it. Decision made. We're doing this. Not because you don't want to listen to him. Not because you can't change your decision. It's because you took the information you have the confidence, you have the competence, you're standing behind your decision with that new information, it is still the correct decision and you're gonna continue with it. Um, Absolutely. And you did listen to the person. You did listen to the person and you made the ultimate decision. And I think in in the majority of cases, the folks that work for us, the firefighters, they respect that. Yeah, at least LT listened to me, but he's the boss. We're, we're doing this, this way. Let's go. Yeah. And, you know, and there's, and it's kind of funny because in that situation, he actually ended up being right. And it wasn't, again, no one got hurt or injured or anything. And it was, and it wasn't even like a vindictive, I told you so. The guy came back, he's like, hey, uh, so like, why do you think this worked? And it was, you know, (laughs) I don't want to get into the details just because I'm not crossing work into this, but the long story, the very, very long story short, was it was a simple, uh, almost immediately after the fire went out, everything was fine and everything was kind of slowing down, took our stuff off. And I kind of looked at him, he kind of grinned. I'm like, yeah, right, you're right. And it wasn't, you know, it, was, it wasn't a big deal, but I, I think again, I, you just, you made the decision. And, right. and, you, and sometimes Mike, there's more than two right ways to do something. Correct. And they also want that. They want the ability to, be right like i don't know if i'm saying that right but like you know if you admit hey look i was wrong or hey this decision i made could have been better your suggestion you know you you were right nice job or hey i don't know everything i think that uh maybe the best way to say that is to be humble have a little humility in situations i mean yeah it still worked out but the advice that you got was actually correct inevitably Right. And that's what that's that's what the tailboard, you know, after action critique is for. Yeah. 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 We did it. We did it right. Nobody got hurt. Fire went out. All the people are, are accounted for. Everybody's good. But we could have done it better had we done, you know, Firefighter Smith's, uh, you know, way of doing it. That's all that, that happens. Yeah. On, that happens on many, many calls. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's kind of interesting listening to people. They're kind of like, oh, well, the fire went out. So we did good. Well, no, that doesn't. Good. Excuse me. Got a little tongue tongue tied. Um, now, so it's yeah, it's kind of interesting the way things can play out. So I don't necessarily. Mike, I lost you. This guy brought some advice. Oh, can you hear me? I can now. Go ahead. All right, I'll I'll edit that out. Just give me a few seconds. 
and um, we'll cut this entire part out. So just hold on one second here. So yeah, you should be able to uh, have that open dis uh, open conversation and then just that mutual respect, that mutual uh, dialogue. And that comes down to another part two of, you know, you need to make your decisions. You can take any input, but the people giving you the input should know, hey, I can toss my input out there. He's going to be open to it. However, ultimately it's his decision. And I think in time, people kind of know, I don't want to say know their place, but they kind of know like when's the right time to interject when I'm going to keep this to myself. And they know this is a safety problem. This is whatever. Hey, Lieutenant, you need to know this. I see this. Hey, you know, Bill, thanks. I got it. Or, okay, I didn't see that. All right. Um, yeah, we're going to keep doing what we're doing or, you know, this is going to change things. That's so, all part of, that's all part of trusted relationships and teamwork. And it's so important to know your team, know them and them know you and everybody know each other. Exactly right. Cause that's when they know when to, when to interject, when not to, and in, in what subject areas. Absolutely. Sure. And, you know, I think that comes with time though. I think that comes with a lot of trial and error as well. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first one to, t I'll be the first one to tell you that i mean just about everything and anything i've ever i've ever uh gone out to do in my life i've failed mm -hmm. at repeatedly mm -hmm. and you know i think it's okay to fail and i think it's okay to you know not really do that great but over time as you evolve and your uh people see you evolve and they evolve as well you all you all do it together right. and that's where you build that mutual respect you build that trust and they say all right well you know what we screwed up the lieutenant or the captain, whoever, uh, you know, he, instead of, you know, smoking us, he was, he asked us what happened and we talked about it and we all kind of were on the same page. We move forward and, and, and it's over with, right. you know, I think there has to be that fine line between buddy and boss, but you have to come in and establish your expectations and you have to establish your uh, non-negotiables. And when you do Absolutely. that from when you do that from the beginning and you start out that way and then you're consistent, I think over time you get to that level where you can have that mutual uh, mutual respect. So I want I do want to kind of change foot a little here, sure. pivot a little bit. Uh, I think education as a leader is incredibly important. I think on the job training has its own level of. Uh, importance experience is always paramount i think experience will probably get you far than just about everything and anything however i do think you have to be educated as a leader so i want to i want to talk about that i want to get into that a little bit with you let's uh let's sure. talk about your education and, and you know kind of what you're thinking about it well again having worked for some really amazing officers over the years my, my first company officer was actually in college uh when i was a young firefighter out of recruit school and he encouraged me to go to the community college and uh, finish up my associate's degree. And then he, that same guy, you know, years later encouraged me to get my bachelor's and ultimately a, a master's degree. But that all happened over a period of years. I got a bachelor's degree like 18 years after I graduated from high school. It was just sure. a, it was a slow process because <laughs> I had a military obligation back in the early seventies to kind of get out of the way, uh, 
like many firefighters, I worked part time, got married, you know, family, all, all the things that kind of get in the way of going to school and all those excuses that we sometimes come up with. But it is important, especially uh, today. But actually, over the last 20, 30 years, it's been important because the people that we deal with, you know, in many of the communities uh, that we work in are highly educated. And the higher up you go, the better communication skills you have to have. You got to be able to, I, I, I say, speak the King's English and, mm -hmm. you know, be articulate, know how to write, write reports and analyze data, uh, especially the higher up you go. You really got to be good with all that. And the way to do that is, you know, get your get your formal education. That is a component. And you mentioned the other two, uh, experience and training. I think they're all important. They're all equally important. Well, maybe experience is a little bit more important than the other two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, obviously, as a, as a firefighter and a and a company officer and a battalion chief, if you're if you're out there in field operations, yeah, experience experience is, is more important than education and training. But again, you know, if you're if you're seeking, you know, uh, command level positions, department head, deputy department heads, those kinds of positions, certainly. In, in today's fire service, you're probably, you probably need at least a bachelor's and heck, we've got folks in recruit school. Uh, I just uh, spoke with a, a group of 24 recruits several months ago uh, at Fairfax County uh, and the vast majority of them had bachelor's degrees and made probably 30% of them had master's degrees. I mean, it's just amazing the education level of the folks coming in. Uh, you know, they had been in other careers. Uh, some had volunteer experience. Most did not. Uh, but they were highly educated. So that's kind of the workforce that we're dealing with today. Uh, mm -hmm. Education is important. It's just, you know, you gotta, you gotta find the time to do it, and you gotta buckle down and do the work. It takes a long time, uh, but I think the the dividends pay off. I think the return on investment is very very high with that. Same thing with training. And you talked about on the job. Tra There's a lot of training that our employers give to us that is necessary. It's good. But in many cases, it's just the basics that we need to do our job. I'm a huge proponent of, you know, network with people from other fire departments. You know, just because we do it one way here in the Washington, D.C. area doesn't necessarily mean it's the end all and be all network with folks from around the country. If you can, you know, with technology today, you can do a lot of things online. You can, you know, get on webinars. You don't necessarily have to travel, but if you can do, because there's best practices all around this country. That's one of the things I've learned in my little consulting job, which I'm, I'm a senior associate with center for public safety management is there are so many great ideas around this country and even up into Canada. Uh, where we do fire and EMS uh, analysis. There's there's a lot of folks out there, smaller departments that are really doing some innovative things. Uh, it's not all the, the big fire departments. It's a lot of the smaller ones. Yeah, and you know, I, so I think your life experience can only take you so far. And, and I think experience on calls and doing your job as a firefighter or whatever your career field is, I think can only take you so far, but I think that needs to be supplemented with solid education. I don't think 
like world history is going to teach me how to be a better leader. However, depending on where you deep dive into world history, you can find good leaders and learn things. And I think that's where it adds that um, missing buffer, that missing link maybe. But I think, no, go ahead. No, it's, it's interesting. You, you, you talk about world history, uh, but if you go to the national fire Academy and attend any of the leadership, uh, courses up there one of the one of the scenarios they use is the movie Gettysburg and how decisions were made on both sides the Union and the Confederate side you know the Battle of Gettysburg and and the, and the leaders that actually emerged you know from that three-day campaign up there so there's 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 a lot of parallels uh, between that type of decision making and the fire service and just how 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 leaders, get information how they dissect it how they make decisions good or bad you know and what the outcomes are and that three-day battle is you know is just a, a great example of where some decisions were made and at least for robert e lee they were catastrophic they were absolutely catastrophic you know toward you know at the end there with pickett's charge and and all that uh it's just it's it's interesting to watch those dynamics, how, you know, he received information to see the leadership of somebody like general, uh, general Joshua Chamberlain, you know, from Maine and, you know, how he withstood a, pretty much an overwhelming force and was able to, you know, capture and take care of that, that situation at the time. It's, it, again, it all goes back to leadership and the trust of the people under you you know, especially in a, in a chaotic situation like that. So I think we can learn from all of it. Yeah, I agree. World history probably isn't going to make you necessarily a better, but we can still, we can still learn from it. And I, I look at education as, uh, you know, it's not just the pieces of paper on the wall, but courses like the fire, the National Fire Academy, places where you are being educated. It's not, it, it kind of bridges the, the line between training and education uh I, I look at it as a little bit of both in a place like that it's a great facility up there uh, i instructed up there for many years and went through the executive fire officer program took a lot of courses up there again we learned much more from the folks in the class than we did necessarily in you know from the course itself you, you learn so much from the people that you're going through those uh those courses with so highly encourage all that it's the extras too. So, you know, it's kind of interesting the way uh, you brought up Gettysburg. My example that I was going to bring up was uh, Dick Winters at Braycourt Manor, the Braycourt Manor assault mm -hmm. where they yeah. attacked the gun shooting that were shooting down on the uh, landing. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting because West Point still teaches that to their officers in, a, in their officer candidate school. They still teach them as the textbook attack on a fixed position. And his attack – was June 6th, 1944. That's wow. however, however many many years ago, that, that's a long time ago, probably, geez, what, yeah. 80 or 90 years now? D-Day, yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, yeah. I think his leadership in that scenario is why it worked out. And he allowed him his NCOs, because he was a lieutenant, he allowed his NCOs to make decisions as they attacked different guns in different positions. And they changed positions or they changed the manner in which they made the attack, which was all on the fly and they got the job done. Right. And I think, you know, it does take a village 
when it comes to raising officers and raising uh, the next generation and having people come up behind us. And I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you should be wanting to have the people in your command replace you. And by that, I mean, have them in the position to be able to be, you know, a lieutenant. If you have, a, if you're a captain, you have some lieutenants, you want your lieutenants to be able to be captains, those things. You should always be doing everything to pass along your knowledge to the, ne the next generation. Yeah. Our so, job, our job as senior leaders is to train those that are going to take our jobs when, when we move on. But the military in particular, and you mentioned West Point and how they train, you know, their, their emerging leaders, their, their future officers, because it's an educational institution as well as a training ground for, for army officers. Uh, they're great at training you know, their officers, how to make decisions, because, you know, in, in many cultures, everything's hierarchical. In our military, while we do have a hierarchical chain of command, when it comes to, we'll just say emergency operations, uh, military operations, they expect the lowest ranking person to make the decision necessary. And I saw that so many times, not when not my six years in the Army, but particularly in the Coast Guard and the Navy, we might have a, a second-class petty officer in charge of a boat, you know, an E-4. He's not radioing back, asking for permission to, to do something. He already knows what he's going to do. And he makes decisions, day or she, makes decisions day in and day out at the lowest possible level. We want to foster that in the fire service, too. I've been to many fire departments where company officers and even battalion chief officers have to continually look up to make decisions or they're, they're just crushed sometimes uh, by making a decision and, well, you didn't ask chief so-and-so or you didn't follow this policy, this policy necessarily to the T. And we really, leaders need to lead. A fire chief and whether you call deputy chief or assistant chief, the number two, three people in the department, they don't need to be managing the department. They need to be leading the department. Let the company officers manage the day-to-day -day operations. The folks out there, they're the ones that really run the organization. You know, what we need to be doing at the chief officer level is leading, providing direction, policy, equipment, support, budget, all those things so that company officers can do their jobs. No, I agree. And, you know, there's been situations that I've experienced myself, and, I, and I'm sure this is very, very common where the situation comes up, I'm going to make a decision, and then I'll, you know, hey, chief, just so you know, this is what happened, this is what I did, just to give you an idea, mm -hmm. you know, just to give you yeah. uh, a heads up. I think, uh, and there's a book that I really like, it's called, excuse me, Small Unit Leadership, and it's written by Dadridge Malone. And one of the things he talked about when it comes to communications is good to know, need to know, and nice to know, or excuse me, nice to know, need to know, good to know. So it's nice for them to know that, you know, whatever happened, happened. There's things that they have to know, like if someone gets injured or, you know, there's a collapse or those things that you, you gotta, you gotta tell it to them. And then, you know, I just think it breaks down the different levels in, in the manner of which you go up the chain of command because, you know, there's been plenty of times where I'll say, you know, hey, chief, I got X, Y, and Z going on. This is my plan. 
clients wanted you to know. And they could say, all right, hey, you know, rock on. Or they could say, no, don't do that. You need to do this, that, or the other. And I've, I've found, because I have called them saying, how I don't know what to do. What do I do with this? Or I don't know what to do with this. What do I do with that? And there's going to be those times where you're going to have to call them and say, look, I need your help. You need to come down here. Um, there's going to have those times where I think in time, when you go to them with notification and your plan or your your uh, solution for the situation, I think that will build that trust. And that's what they that's what they need ultimately. And it speaks to the you, you should always handle every, absolutely everything at the lowest level. You know what I mean? I don't need to call the battalion chief for a discipline problem. I can handle myself and hopefully not do paperwork on where we just handle it in house. And that's the end of it. Like, you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. So it's, and that's just kind of the way it, I think it, the way it works is when you start empowering people to do it. Cause if you're personifying that as the station officer, your chief knows you're doing that. And then your guys see everything you do. They're like my six year old son who I swear I bring up every day, almost every episode I do this podcast, they see everything. Right. They hear everything. They forget nothing. That's hopefully right. you hopefully you have guys and girls that you work with who will say things to you. There's inconsistencies or you know something they don't like or whatever it is. Hopefully they're talking to you because silence is deafening. And oh, yeah. I th- like you know what I mean? And I think once once you really start establishing yourself of being able to make those decisions make the cor- the correct communication I, I think that speaks volumes right. I, I really do especially over time and I know this has been long winded but to tie all the way back into what we said before that's that trust built over time that's right so um, could you could you and do you think you could uh, maybe bring up any decisions or, or not decisions excuse me any challenges you've had in your leadership that uh, can be the fire department it can be the military when you think you were the most challenged as a leader Walk us through that whole thing, and um, let's talk about it. Well, I mean, I will go back to that emergency incident. I go back to the high-rise fire with fire blowing out the 11th floor because I was—I had been a battalion chief all of two weeks. Everything was out of position. Uh, like I said, I was the first arriving on the scene. It was pure chaos citizens you know the, the occupants of the building it was an office building in the tyson's corner area of virginia uh people were running out glasses flying all over the place thankfully nobody was injured uh i i will tell you in looking back it was i wouldn't characterize it as terrifying but i did have a knot in my stomach and i was just I was just, I was relying on my experience and my training and my education, all those things uh, to make the right decisions. And prior to being a battalion chief, I spent many years as a company officer, but the previous year I had spent in a staff position running the, the fleet. So was I a little rusty? Probably because I'd been out of the field for a year and now I'm in the busiest battalion and I pulled up and of course, uh, nothing worked, you know, the, <laughs> you know, the, 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 folks, you know, they had to take the stairs. There was no fire service control in the elevators. The building was built prior to sprinklers being, uh, mandated. So they had to, they had to take the stairs all the way up. Uh, they hooked up to the riser. They stretched it up, no water, you know, fortunately it was a very windy day. It was the first of March, 1987. Never forget the date. 
and the wind was blowing. So uh, it wasn't like they had to crawl down a smoky hallway. It was like fighting a big brush fire, you know, on the 11th floor of a building, if you, if, if you kind of get my drift there. Yes, uh, yes. But, you know, the, the operator of the engine that, that had water supply, you know, he was only get he wasn't getting a residual reading. He was only getting static. I mean, he says there's something wrong here. Well, come to find out, the the standpipe connection he was pumping into it had been capped off on the other end. He didn't know that they had moved the the the, the standpipe connection down the side of the building uh, where it became uh, a sprinkler and standpipe connection for a parking garage that they were building. So it was going to feed this parking garage and this building. The OSNY was turned off. So the fire pump wasn't working and it was just, we're, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to adapt to this. So I, my initial thought was, you know, flying standpipe. Well, we had 235 foot aerial trucks. I'd called for one of those. We were going to, you know, raise this, you know, the ladder up and do all that operation. And, uh, the driver actually of, of this unit said, why don't we just back pressure? This is a great idea. You know, that was his idea. He says, why don't we just run a line in the first floor? Absolutely. And we'll just pressure and, and did all that. It took time. It took time. Uh, and you know, the folks got water, they put the fire out, but it was just like one thing after another was just very, very challenging, but I will, I'll never forget my boss showed up and in, in today's rank structure in Fairfax County, that would be the deputy fire chief for that particular shift. Well, he walks up, his name was Glenn Gaines. He was the shift commander, you know, for all the battalion chiefs. And he walked up just as calmly and coolly. And he looked at me and put his arm on my shoulder and says, all right, Jack, he says, he, has, he always asked the same three questions. What do you got? And I told him what I had. Uh, what have you done? This is what we've done. And what do you plan to do? He always asked the same three questions. And I knew what the questions were going to be. And I, and I had the answers for all that. He says, okay. He says, uh, it, you've, you've gone to three alarms uh, by our SOP. I have to take command now. So I'm going to take command. He says, but I'm going to put you in charge of operations. So as he put the incident commander vest on, I put the operations vest on. He looked at me and he smiled and he goes, now make that fire go out. <laughs> Which, now make that fire go out. So, and, and they all go out, but this one went out, it went out because they got water not because it, it ran out of stuff to burn. Uh, that was, that was really the baptism by fire. I got as a chief officer, you know, in the fire, it was that one. There, there, there were many more fires after that, bigger fires than that, more challenging fires, but that was it. I mean, uh, later on when I was at, uh, when I was in, in, uh, uh, in, in Loudoun County as assistant chief, I was there a little over a year when 9-11 hit and we ended up at the Pentagon on 9-11 and I had two engines, a ladder truck and a battalion chief. And my boss uh, from Loudoun sent me to kind of lead our task force because we never expected to go to the Pentagon. We thought we'd just run calls in Arlington County for them, but the way it went down is about one o'clock in the afternoon on 9-11, we ended up at the site and I was the planning section chief and my guys and gals ended up going in the building and, and, and fighting fire all afternoon. And I, and talk about concern, cause I knew what had happened by that point, you know, what had happened up in New York city. 
Sure. And there were there were collapses at the Pentagon, and it was a huge operation, very complicated. Uh, and try just talk about trying to manage chaos. I mean, the incident commander there at the time, Jim Schwartz, just amazing leadership. Uh, but he recognized that he had two big gaps, not so much from the firefighting standpoint, but from the support. He didn't have planning and he didn't have logistics. So we got some people in there to run logistics and that just, that turned into one of the biggest logistical operations I've ever seen on an incident ever. And the whole South parking lot became basically anything that you needed, food, supplies, very well organized. I got to give a guy from Fairfax uh, lion's share of the credit, Gene Cox, he just ran that operation. And then we, we put a team together to do the initial incident action plan. And we had all these USAR teams coming in and, you know, that's, you know, you get the whole FEMA element and USAR and all that sure. just to try to manage all that. Very, very challenging, but overall it went pretty well, despite the lack of communications. I mean, at the time, you got to remember 2001, we didn't have a lot of radio interoperability everybody's operating on different frequencies and different kind of radios. I think Loudon was the only jurisdiction around that had eight, had, had migrated 800 megahertz radios. So, um, the, the, the two ops guys, if you will, one from Arlington and one from Washington, DC. And I know both of them very, very well, Tommy Hurley from Washington, DC and Chuck Gibbs from, from Arlington, they stood side by side out there and they, you know, managed their, their forces and they used a lot of runners, you know, cause the patch system with the radios wasn't working particularly well and they made it all happen. And my little role there as a planning guy was to try to figure out, you know, what we were going to do, not just the rest of that operational period, but that night and the next day. And, you know, I'm working with folks, some I knew and some I didn't know in a, in a jurisdiction that I had absolutely no authority other than what, the fire chief of Arlington, or the, actually the assistant fire chief of Arlington, gave to me, which in the incident command system was all that I needed. And sure. that that was a huge challenge. And I, I remember driving down, if people are familiar with the area, Columbia Pike, because we were coming out of Arlington Fire Station 1. I was with the battalion chief in the front seat. He was driving. And I looked over at him, and I said, are you okay? And he goes, I'm fine. He says, but I've never been to something this big. And I said, well, Alan... I've never been to something this big either. I said, your job is to, to make sure that everybody behind us and those two engines and that ladder come back to Loudoun County safe. That's your job. You just make sure they all get back. And he did all that. Sure. We're very, very fortunate. You know, I mean, that's, that's probably quite, quite a long day. Well, it is a long day. It's not probably, it definitely is. And, and I think... I think adaptability is always a requirement because change is consistent. Um, it's inevitable. And I think as a leader, you need to be flexible to succeed. I think that um, adaptability, you need to be able to be ready to access a range of behaviors that will shift as the situation goes. But, you know, I think a list or a plan of action is just a list of things that are going to go wrong, quite frankly, in my experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think the overall theme from today of just about everything we've talked about is adaptability. Adaptability, right. adaptability is, 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 
is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing, I think, as a leader. And it doesn't have to be anything as big as 9-11. Adaptability could be as simple as, here's my situation that's going on. I want to do X, Y, and Z. We're started. It's not working. All right, well, we're going to change course of action. Guy from your shift comes in and goes, hey, LT, I think we should try this. All right, well, I'm going to listen to him. What I've done hasn't worked. All right, I'm going to adapt a little bit. I'm going to change to the situation at hand. I'm going to, and I'm going to change direction. All right, hey, it worked, and then you're successful. I, you know, you got to be adaptable. You, right. you, you know, you, and you don't have to know everything. I think being a very, very good leader comes from being a good follower, and you can still be a follower. As I said at the very, very beginning of the show, a pair of epaulets don't make you a general. You know, you have to be able to still follow and know almost like driving a uh, manual car. You have to know when to hit the clutch and when to hit the uh, when to hit the gas. Correct. So I think, yeah, I mean, you got to be adaptable because mm -hmm. there's going to come a point where you're going to show up to something and, that you've never been to before. And that's when that command presence, that confidence, that competence, the experience, the knowledge and your people's trust in you it's all going to come together for that moment and you need to be ready well so, that's exactly that's exactly what happened on 9 11 at the pentagon because nobody had been to anything like that sure not not jim schwartz the assistant chief not ed plogger who was the fire chief who took a, a a little bit different role a senior advisor if you will and helped you know get us the support that we needed there but you're absolutely right and the reason that that incident and there's a very thick uh, after action review of that incident. And there was many successes. There's many challenges. There was many lessons learned, if you will, and things that had to change after that. But overall, that mission was a success overall, despite hundreds of challenges. And it was because on a day-to-day -day basis, every fire department in the region that responds to that had done so well using the incident command system knew what they were supposed to do. They knew how to make decisions and it all came together because, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of like, you know, you, you do something so long and you get pretty good at it that, Hey, so it's, so it's a little bit bigger. Well, in this case, it was a lot bigger. It went well because they did so well and they learned from other incidents that had happened before. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing too, it came down to the, the lowest level right. uh, thing we talked about earlier. You know, I mean, yeah, a plane crashed into a build, an occupied building, remove at its face 9-11, and you have a catastrophic incident with building right. collapse. Exactly. Bring that, bring that back, you can, and you can break that down even lower. You can bring that down into life safety, right. um, property environment, right? So now right. we're going we're gonna to work on doing rescues. We're going to stop the fire from getting bigger, and we're going to overwhelm it in force with people and water. And I mean, you start breaking it all the way down to that lowest level, and we'll go the we'll go to the absolute lowest level if the guys on the engine do their job that they know they're told to do by incident command. Guys on the truck do their job. USAR does their job. Ladder trucks or uh, rescue squads do their job. EMS is set up and does their job. Everything will work out when you break it down to that lowest level, and then hopefully, that command officer at all levels of the um, large incident, well, unified command, I would guess, they would know I'm a chief. I've been a firefighter before. 
I know these things need to get done. Right. I mean, you could, you could go as low or as deep as you want in this conversation, sure. into this example. Oh, I mean, yeah. excuse me. I mean, you could yeah. go totally off the rails. But he, however, overall, brilliance in the basics will always, always prevail. It may not always get in, get there the the perfect path, the the, the way everybody wants to, the textbook uh, way, you, you know, but when you have brilliance in the basics, work your ass off, train prepare your people and you're on the same page. So yeah, I just think the brilliance and the basics will always, always, always prevail. I think no matter how difficult things can be, if you just stop and just look at it from the most simple, basic answer, I think that's where you're going to be successful. I mean, it's just like on any fires or anything like that. There's, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. You can run in your hand line all these different ways, but if it's as simple as lay out, pull a line, jump a fence rather than do all this elaborate stuff or jumping, you know, go to a different block when you can go just drive down the same street as the first two engine. If you're supposed to go to the rear and you just drive down the same street and now you're pulling 200 feet of line instead of 400 feet of line and you're not in anyone's way, it's simple. I, I think the, I think the simplest answer is always the most successful one quite frankly right I, and you know ultimately at the end of the day all skills all go back to basic fundamentals sport right. any sport any profession anything like that there's that bottom level and you work your way up right. so bros and the basics will always prevail i think they'll give you the, the keys to success um, Jack, I think this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, we're right around that one hour mark. Uh, okay. Do you have any? Do you have any final uh, thoughts or anything else you want to talk about before we get going and close well, this out? Well, yeah, yes, I do, Mike. Uh, sure. I, I want to compliment you for the series that you've been uh, doing here for, gosh, however long you've been doing it. Long time now. Uh, <laughs> You're giving back. You're still on the job. What what impresses me about you, Mike, is you're still on the job. You're a company officer, and you are giving back to other company officers and other, quite frankly, other senior leaders that are out there who listen to your podcast uh, about how to be better leaders. It's, you know, life is about learning all the way to the end and you are a lifelong learner and I compliment you on that. I know that you've had some really great mentors over the years uh, in the department that you're in, but throughout the region, throughout the country. Uh, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing for today's fire service. And uh, to everybody out there listening, please, please stay safe, stay healthy, come home, uh, at the end of your shift, you know, to your families. That's what I, I have to say. I appreciate that, Jack. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I, I think this, this whole podcast, I think is something I wish I had when I was a new leader and I didn't. And I think I was young and too bullheaded to ask for help. And fast forward eight interesting years to say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, I, I'm hope hopefully somebody's new or upcoming and, and they can learn and listen and take something away from this whole project and um, they'll be better or they'll be um, in a better place with better tools for success than I felt like I was. Right. And, um, you know, that's kind of my goal. That's the whole reason why I'm here, what I'm doing, what I'm doing. But I do appreciate your kind words. Um, I'm, I'm very, very humbled and, and I'm very thankful. And, and most of all, thank you for your time. Yes, I greatly appreciate it. So hang out for a second. Don't go anywhere. I will. Um, oh, and real quick, what's a uh, good place if people wanted to get a hold of you, like social media, email, or anything like that? Well, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. That's the only social media that I'm on. I am on LinkedIn. It's just Jack Brown. Uh, sure. You'll see me there. And, uh, you know, my email address is jjbrown118 at gmail.com. And my cell number is 571-641-6169. Awesome. And we'll add all that into the episode description that'll be attached below as, uh, when you guys listen. And most of all, thank you all for listening to Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. Before we go, share some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast network. Hit that like button and download and make sure to leave us a review. We're going to read them all. Stay tuned as more episodes are coming in the next few weeks. So everyone, thank you so much for your time. Be healthy, be happy, enjoy yourselves out there. And uh, tip of the spear leadership, be present, be yourself, be unstoppable. Thanks, guys.